Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus, this is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. I'm going to live for Jesus Christ, and, and I don't care what it costs me, and I don't care what others say about me, I don't care what others think about me, I don't care what the rumor mill flies around about me, I'm going to live for Jesus. What does love look like? That may seem like a strange question, but most of us have probably heard the old saying, love is a verb. In other words, love is an action. So what does love look like? More specifically, what does your love for God look like? It is a true and tragic statement that many people make God the God of the leftovers. They give Him their leftover time, their leftover talents and resources, their leftover money. Based on what is left in your paycheck, congratulations, you have just made Him the God of the leftovers. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're glad you've joined us today as we're in our series through the book of Mark entitled, Jesus, the Real Action Hero. And today we come to a story in Mark chapter 14 of an extraordinary act of love. And if you and I are going to live a life that is full and satisfying and complete and, and is everything that we thought that it would be, you and I have to learn to love God with reckless abandon. I asked a moment ago, what does your love for God look like? Well, today, Pastor Clay is going to share the story of a woman who showed her love for Jesus in a remarkable way. And from her story, we're going to learn a few things about what our love for God should look like. Now, here's Pastor Clay. I want to lead you to the cross. Uh, if, in case you haven't looked at your calendars, uh, tomorrow is Groundhog Day. And so it seemed appropriate to pay homage to uh, uh, what I consider a great comedic classic. It is Bill Murray's uh, film entitled Groundhog Day. Now, if you've never seen the movie, uh, Bill Murray's character, Phil Connor, weatherman for WPBH TV9 Pittsburgh, goes to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania to do this story on Groundhog Day and to see whether the groundhog is going to see his shadow or not. Somehow, Phil gets caught in Groundhog Day and he keeps reliving the same day over and over and over again. And it makes, in my opinion, a pretty funny movie. But do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you're stuck? Do you ever feel like do you ever feel like like you're at the DMV and you're holding ticket number 103 and number 11 is flashing on the on that sign up there? Do you know what I'm saying? I know the calendar is still moving. I know time is still passing, but 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 you, you, we've got our pressures and we've got our stresses and we've got our trials and we've got our work and we've got our family and we've got all these things going on in our lives and, and it just seems like it, it, it's going nowhere. I don't know what we expected life to be, but, but somehow this is not what we expected it to be. Do you, do you ever feel that way? I, I think a lot of people do and maybe sometimes you even feel that way. Maybe you feel like, wow, I, I just, really? 
Is this it? Is this, is this what life is about? I didn't think at this stage in my life, or I, didn't think, I just didn't think this is where I'd be or this would be what would happen or is, this, is it never gonna get any better than this? Or, I don't know if you ever feel that way or not, but, but if you do, I wanna help you with that. Jesus said this, some pretty familiar words probably to a lot of you in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, I came so that they might have life, a great, full life. If your life perhaps is not what you thought it would be or you feel at times like you're just stuck, you're spinning your wheels, you're not getting anywhere in life, as I said, I I wanna help you with that by showing you uh, from Scripture what is the key, I believe, to this full, satisfying, abundant life. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14, y'all know what that means, right? No, apparently not. I got one woo. That was it. Mark 14. There's only 16 chapters in Mark. Okay. (laughs) I figured after uh, more than a year, y'all would be uh, wearing thin on Mark, but y'all all all right? We're we're getting, getting, you know, if if Jesus tarries and we're going to get through uh, the book of Mark, but we're in Mark chapter 14 and uh, we're looking for, uh, what is it? What, what is it that gives us that kind of life? I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm going I'm to tell you in just a moment. Mark chapter 14, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. The text is up on the screen as well and you can follow along there. Listen. Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying... Not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. And while he was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you and whenever you wish you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly. I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. And then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And they were glad when they heard this and promised to, to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. You pray with me this morning. Father, uh, I know that... Uh, that a lot of us can at times just feel like life is not what we expected it to be or it's not turning out like we thought or there's more heartaches or pressures or trials or problems than I thought there would be and uh, people can just, can just feel stuck. I, I pray today that as we, as we talk and look at this example that, that we would get a, a, fresh, a fresh glimpse, um, a fresh appreciation for where uh, real life is found Uh, in this world, uh, Father God. Uh, Speak to our hearts. May our minds and hearts and ears be attentive 
there can always be distractions, things happen. I know that, Lord. But I pray for the people right now uh, in this room and those who perhaps will listen to this message uh, this week and in the coming weeks. I pray that you would just uh, help us to focus on the truth of your word. In Christ's strong name, amen. Hey, uh, I, I haven't done this in a while. But every once in a while I like to, to do this. Every once in a while I like to uh, propose to you one kind of big idea, one, one general idea that the text that we're working on is kind of focused on. It's something that, that I call a BP squared. Y'all, some of y'all remember that? A BP squared. BP squared stands for big picture biblical principle. Get it? BP squared, big picture. Thank you. Okay, the big picture, what, so what, it, what the big picture biblical principle for John, for, this, is how, this is how it comes out to me as I'm sharing it with you. John chapter 14, verse 1 through 11, here's the big picture biblical principle. It looks like this. Love God with reckless abandon. To love God with absolute reckless abandon. If you and I are going to live a life that is full and satisfying and complete and, and is everything that we thought that it would be, you and I have to learn to Love God with reckless abandon. But Clay, I, I, I already love God. I have no doubt that you do. But the question that I'm asking of all of us today is, do I love God with reckless abandon? Well, I don't know. What, what does that mean? Well, according to UrbanDictionary.com, reckless abandon it's, it's an idiomatic English, and it's an idiomatic English means roughly without care or regard for consequences. Ah, now maybe we can see why it's important to differentiate between saying I love God and saying I love God with absolute reckless abandon. Do I love God? Listen, and I hope this is a question you're asking yourself, even as I'm saying it. Do I love God without care or regard for the consequences that might come into my life as a result of living in this world and loving God that way? Do I love God with reckless abandon? How'd I do that? What? What? What did, what did one of y'all, did somebody say something? Oh, I'm so glad that, that y'all asked that, that question. How do I do do that? What does it look like to love God with reckless abandon? Listen, if that's that's your heart's desire, if that's what you're going to do, if you're going to love God with absolute reckless abandon, then it has to start with this idea. You got to let go of what others hold on to. Let me just kind of read it again real quickly for you. Passover, unleavened bread, two days away. Chief priests and the scribes are seeking how to, how to by stealth to kill him so that, you know, it's, there's no more negotiating, no more trying to, they, they just want Jesus dead. They just, they just want him out of the way. They don't want to do it during the festival, during Passover time. And we'll talk next week about that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, together. But they, don't, they know that the crowd could get inside. They don't want to do that. They're trying to secretly do this. Verse 3, while he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. Now John, in his account of this event, John tells us specifically that the woman's name was Mary. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. 
The same Mary that, if you're familiar with the story in Luke chapter 10, where uh, Martha is serving dinner to Jesus and his disciples, and she gets mad, Martha gets mad at Mary, because rather than helping her serve, she finds Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, learning. So, so it seems that almost from the beginning, Mary seemed to have a, a, a better grasp of this whole thing than a lot of people do, did. Mary, Mary seemed to, to get it, that, that, that Jesus was, was more than just some good rabbi, that there was, that there was more uh, to this. And I, I, can, I, I, can, uh, I can imagine Mary coming in to the room, right? I suspect that most of the guys uh, gathered around the table there probably paid very little attention to Mary as, as she came in. They're probably just busy talking guy stuff, right, as she comes in. Jesus is reclining, the text says, he's reclining at the table, which is how you ate in the Middle Eastern culture. The tables were, were low to the ground, and, and people would sit on pillows, and they would lay over on their side and maybe on their elbow, and, and they would eat, and they would, they would fellowship, they would community together in this very casual kind of setting. We don't know whether this, this perfume, we don't know whether it was a gift or if Mary had worked and, and purchased it for herself. If she did, she must have saved for years because the only thing we're told is that it was very costly, okay? Very costly. Now, based on what the disciples say, that the value of this perfume was worth more than 300 denarii, we know then that that places the value of this, this perfume at what would have been the equivalent of a year's wages. A year's wages for a bottle of perfume. Now, uh, these statistics are, are a, a little bit old, but to put that into our context, okay, according to the Social Security Administration's website, in 2013, the national average wage index for 2013 is $44,888.16. I don't know if you make more than that, less than that, or whatever. I'm just telling you, that's what the Social Security Administration says that the national average was. I don't know what a bottle of Chanel Number no. 5 costs, but it's probably not forty-five grand. Notice verse 3. Did you notice verse 3 says, did you catch that? That Mary broke the vial. Did you see that? There weren't any spray bottles back then. There's no, there's no twist on lids. Listen to me. Mary walked into that room understanding that, that it was all or nothing. That if, she, that if she did this, if she broke this thing, that was it. it, was all, it that, that was it. It was all or it was nothing. And she let go of what other people would never let go of. She poured out, as Mark says, on Jesus' head. And John also tells us on Jesus' feet. If you're going to love God with absolute reckless abandon, then you have to understand that you have to, you have to be willing to let go of what other people are, not, are unwilling to let go of. In, uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, and First Chronicles 21, Second uh, Samuel, sorry, 24, and First Chronicles 21, there's this story of uh, King David. Uh, he, he wants to make an offering to the Lord. He wants to offer up an offering to the Lord. And 
this guy who, who's there, when David comes to his, this guy offers up. He says, you just, you take the animals you need, you, you use my, uh, my threshing floor, you, you offer up, you just, you feel free, king. You, you take and you use whatever you need to do. It was, it was a very uh, generous gesture on the man's part. But, but look at David's response to the man's offer. Look at what he says. But the king replied to Aronah, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. You see, it's this idea of being willing to let go of what other people will not let go of. Mary was willing to let go of what easily was the most valuable possession in her life. Listen, can I tell you this? I'm, I'm gonna preach here a moment. It is a, it is a true and tragic reality that most, maybe not most, It is a true and tragic statement that many people make God the God of the leftovers. They give him their leftover time, their leftover talents and resources, their leftover money. By the way, by the way, if you happen to be a person here that struggles with tithing, and listen, I know people do, I know. I can remember a time when I did. If you have any person that struggles with tithing, can, can I just, this was just something God just laid on my heart last night as I was praying and going, going through this message again. Listen, besides the fact that, that tithing is a, is a thank offering, Genesis 14, 20. Besides the fact that tithing is a faith offering, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Besides the fact that tithing is an obedience issue, Malachi three ten. If your intention or if you try to give to God back to him, to give to him financially based on what is left in your paycheck, congratulations, you have just made him the God of the leftovers. And I'm, I'm just telling you, God doesn't deserve that. He doesn't. God deserves our very best. God deserves what the Bible refers to as our first fruits. Mary was willing to let go of what others wouldn't let go of. It was a demonstration that she was going to love God with reckless abandonment. Okay, so what does that look like to, uh, to, uh, to let go of what others won't let go of? How, how, how do I begin to do that? Let's, let's look at a little bit of the idea. First, hold it loosely. If you're going to do that, if you're going to let go of what others won't let go of, hold it loosely. Because, listen, number one, listen, can I just remind you, no, number one, it, it, it's, pass, it's just passing. Y'all know it's one, it's one of my latest favorite statements. It's destined for dust. It, it really is passing. I, I promise you if, you, if you own it long enough, the, the, the luster will wear off, the batteries will wear down, the, the parts will, will wear out, and the value will wear away. I promise you, it is passing. And, and so hold it loosely. And, and number two, just remember this. It has no eternal value, or, or almost no eternal value, and I'll explain that in a minute. But but the things that, that most people consider valuable in this world, right? The fancy things, the expensive things, the, uh, the, the, the rare things, they, they really have no eternal value to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? For instance, uh, as of this Friday at 11.27 a.m., I looked this up, don't you love, you gotta love Google. This Friday, as of, as of 11.27 a.m., gold was trading for $1,272.97 per ounce. Pretty valuable stuff, right? In heaven, it's asphalt. Do, do you understand? You understand what I'm saying to you? Hold it loosely, 
Listen, does, does that mean that, 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 I, that I, have, I ought to feel bad if I, if, I, if I happen to make a nice salary? No, I don't think so. Does, does that mean I, I, I can't own nice things or that I should feel bad about a particular brand of car that I drive? I, I don't think so. But I think that it means that you, when it comes to our stuff, we better learn to hold it loosely. And here's a, another idea. Use it. Oh, yeah, sorry. Thanks, Tyler. I'm glad you brought that up. I want, I want to ask. This is a great question. I forgot that. This is a great question to, to just ask ourselves. To just, just ask ourselves, do I possess possessions or do possessions possess me? I know it's a bit of a tongue twister, but I tried to put it in a way that might help us remember it. Which is it? I mean, really, think about it. Is it wrong to have possessions? No, but, but do I possess them or, or do they possess me? Every once in a while, it's not a bad idea to just kind of step back and evaluate my relationship to my stuff. Is it wrong to have it? No. No, but you better hold it loosely because it's passing and it really has no eternal value to it. And, and, then, and then here's, here's the other uh, idea. Uh, use it wisely. Use it wisely. I said a moment ago that uh, the, the, our material possessions, the things of this world, that they have very little eternal value. Unless... They are used for kingdom purposes. You with me? Y'all here? I'm going to tell you. Y'all, y'all seem kind of out of it this week. Next week, I'm going to make y'all all sit in the middle and where y'all can keep each other awake. Y'all, are you with me? What did I just say? Yeah, okay. Man, y'all are sharp. <laughs> Does using it, when, if I say for kingdom purposes, does that mean that, that, that I have to donate my car to a missionary and then, then it's king, used for kingdom purposes? No, it doesn't have to necessarily mean that. I feel free to give it to a missionary if you want to. But it's, it's a, Does it mean that I have to take a vow of poverty and give everything that I have away for it to be used for kingdom purposes? No, that's not necessarily what it means. What it means to use it wisely is that you recognize that you are a steward of everything that God has entrusted to you. However many days you have in your life, whatever degree of health that you have in your life, whatever gifts and talents and abilities and skills that you have or have acquired through the years, whatever financial resource, all of those things that, that you realize that, that in the end you're a steward of those things and that you use them with the intent, here it is, with the intent of honoring God and being unafraid when the opportunity arises to be unafraid to use it for the expansion of the kingdom of God. Uh, I know I forgot verse 17, but let's just skip First Timothy 6. Uh, Look at verse 18 and 19. Look what it says. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Whatever you have, wherever you are on that scale, whatever, to, to use it wisely, to use it with the understanding that, hey, God, ultimately, all that I have and however long I'll be here and all my possessions, that, that it all belongs to you and I want to use it for your honor and for your glory. I, I said a moment ago that clearly this vial of perfume was the most valuable possession that Mary had, but I, I really should correct that. I should say that it used to be the most valuable possession that Mary had. I'm sure before she met Jesus, I'm sure that 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 vial, however she came into possession of it, whether she scrimped and saved and, and, and worked for years to pay for it, whether it was given to her as a gift, whatever the case may be, 
Once she fell in love with Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, it just, that valuable vial of perfume just became something that she could offer up to her Lord. You understand? Yeah, yeah, and y'all are so talented. Y'all are such talented people, so gifted. Use it wisely. Okay, real quick, let's, let's go to a second idea about, about this loving God uh, in this way. Number two, ignore what others say. <laughs> Except your spouse. No, no, no. <laughs> ignore what others say. Let me, let me read verse four and five. All right, listen. How am I gonna love God with reckless abandon? Here's one, one of the things you gotta do. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. Mark says that they were remarking indignantly uh, to one another. In, in, in the original Greek, that the, language, uh, the original language that it was written in, the, the verb literally comes from root that literally means to snort. They're snorting. Huh! Huh! Got to be careful. You snort. You don't know what, you know. Huh! Huh! Y'all ever, have, y'all ever make somebody so mad that they snorted at you? If not, uh, enter the ministry. It, 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 it'll, it, I, it'll, it'll happen. It's just, go, become a pastor. <laughs> but they're just, oh, huh, 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 how, how could she, oh. Listen, in John's account of this, you got to love John. Because John fills in a lot of gaps sometimes. And, and John just, he just kind of tells it like it is. John tells us specifically that it was Judas that made the statement. And apparently got some of the other disciples to go along with it. John chapter 12, look what it says. It says, but Judas Iscariot, this is John's account, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Look what John says. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. (laughs) You got to love John. You know what? Sometimes... You just gotta, you just gotta throw it to the wind. You just gotta say, I, I don't care. I, I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what people do to me. I, I, I don't care. I am gonna love God in reckless, with reckless abandonment. Now listen, I, I, I don't mean, listen to me. I don't mean arrogantly, okay? I, I don't mean cocky. I don't mean, well, y'all are all gonna burn in hell anyway, so I don't care. That, that's that's not the attitude of a follower of Jesus. No, I, I mean a person who in absolute humble humility has died to themselves and said, I, I'm, I'm gonna live for Jesus Christ. And, and, and I don't care what it costs me and I don't care what others say about me. I don't care what others think about me. I don't care what the rumor mill flies around about me. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna live for Jesus. I'm gonna honor him. You just sometimes, you, you just have to put on your big boy and big girl pants and say, I'm, I, I'm, this is just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love him with reckless abandon, and I don't care what my family thinks. I don't care what my friends think. I don't care what the people at, at work think. I, 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 don't, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to love him with reckless abandon. I'm just going to do what others would never do. I'm going to let go of what others never let go of, and, I, and I'm just not, I just can't let it affect my life if others don't understand or want to talk about me or whatever. And then here's the third idea, real quick, that kind of ties into the, to that second one, and, and it's this. Know that God knows and that's all you need to know. I want to read it to you um, in verse 6. If I'm going to love him with reckless abandon, then I just have to know that God knows because that's really all that I need to know. In verse 6, it says this. He says, but Jesus said, let her alone. Afete uh, in the Greek. It, it's, it's 
basically means back off, step off, get back. Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. You always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do them good, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that what this woman has done will be spoken of in memory of her. I love that because I've, I've, always, I've told people this for years. If you will honor God, God will honor you. If you will honor God with your life, with your talents, with your treasures, with whatever, if you will honor God, God will honor you. I don't know how that all comes out, and and he's the one that has to define that, but I I just know that that principle is true. Listen, I I, I don't have any doubt that that, that the words that those disciples spoke, I'm sure they stung. I'm sure they hurt Mary. She didn't do it because she was trying to draw attention to herself. She certainly didn't do it because she didn't care about poor people. She did it because she had decided she was going to throw caution to the wind and love her Savior with absolute reckless abandon. And I love, I love how Jesus comes to her defense. I already said it, Uh, the the Greek word, it it, it just means, whoa, back off, step off, get back, don't be messed with. He defended her. Can I tell you this? Jesus will defend you, ladies and gentlemen, when, 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 when nobody understands yeah, y'all ever been here? When nobody understands or everybody misunderstands, do you know what I'm saying? When you hurt like, like nobody hurts, when you're attacked, when you're gossiped about, when you're this or that, for, for standing for Jesus Christ, listen, God knows. And, that, and in the end, that's all you really need to know is that God knows. He is perfectly capable of defending you. I'm telling you, having... <laughs> Having Jesus as your defense attorney, that's, that's better than, than Perry Mason, Jason Bourne, and Brian Mills all rolled into one, man. That, you, can't, you can't get better than that. He defended her. And did you notice that he also, he also commended her? Did you see that in the text where it says, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken in memory of her. Jesus announces to everybody there, he says, I'm telling you, what this woman has done will not be forgotten. As a matter of fact, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the rest of time, that this story is gonna be be taught as well in honor of her, in memory of her and what she was willing to do because she was willing to love with reckless abandon. God knows, ladies and gentlemen, and that's all sometimes for our life. That may be all we can know, but just to know that God knows and that's all you need to know, to love him with reckless abandon. I wonder how many of us can say, I love God that way. There is this uh, scene. What's this? It seems like this is movie day today. I've got all kinds of, there's a scene in the, in the movie uh, Serendipity. Yes, it's a chick flick, but it happens to be one of my favorite films. But there's this scene in Serendipity where uh, John Cusack's uh, character, Jonathan Traeger, is talking with his, his best friend, sidekick guy, who uh, writes obituaries for the New York Times. And there's a scene where his friend says to him, he says, you know, the Greeks didn't write obituaries. He said, the Greeks only asked one question when a man died. Did he have passion? I guess that's what I'm asking us today. Do we have passion? To say that we love God, can we say that we love him with passion? Can we say that we love him with reckless abandon? I guess what it all comes down to, are you willing to be thought a fool for following Jesus 
for loving him, for being willing to let go of what other people won't let go of, to not care what others say about you, and to know that that no matter what, in the end, he knows. Are you willing to love him with absolute, total, complete, reckless abandon? To love God with reckless abandon, there's certainly a lot to think about. Do I love God in that way? Am I willing to love Him no matter what it costs me or no matter what others say or do to me? Are we willing to be thought fools for Christ? As Pastor Clay reminded us today, no matter what others may think of us, if we know that God knows, that's really all we need to know. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their lives feel disconnected with the type of life and faith that they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I get it as available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, Have you got a book in here uh, entitled, I Get It, from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy of I Get It today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross-Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.